reveal the truth. I'm gonna make him an offer, Captain. Yeah, man, it really tied the room together. Don't judge me, Rocky. You're a wizard, Harry. Why so serious? Here's Johnny! Welcome to episode 14 of Lords of Film. I'm Justin Chandler. We have Kyle Davis here. On tonight's show, we have an amazing guest, but before we get into that, let's let's plug our stuff. What do, what do we have in the pipeline coming up? Make sure that you are following us uh, on at Lords of Film. You can follow myself at Batman Chandler. You can follow Kyle at... Looting Kyle. You can follow Tom. He's not with us tonight at Batman Bass Slap. Make sure that you're following our other Twitters, uh, which is... Uh, Pen Crew at Pen Crew, which is our podcast empire network uh, Twitter handle. You can uh, follow our other Shannon on Batman podcast at Shannon on Bat. You can also read our stuff at www.shannononbatman.com or www.podcastempirenetwork.com. Tonight's guest is a filmmaker who's made countless numbers of films. Uh, he directed the in 2005 the horror. Film Boo, which is probably top ten all time for me when it comes to horror films, probably seven or eight. You know, it's it's one of those movies that sticks with you after you watch it. Uh, we have uh, this. We have on tonight a filmmaker who has directed four sci-fi films that have blown up on Twitter, Facebook. People talk about it. Now, I know he's, he's been involved with other sci-fi projects, but these four films that he has been doing since 2013 have just been sensational. He's directed Sharknado's 1, 2, 3, and then the fourth film, Sharknado 4, uh, comes out uh, this Sunday, July 31st. So you want to make sure that you are watching that uh, July 31st, this Sunday. And he will be doing a live Twitter session, so make sure that you reach out to him, tell him what you think, tell him what you love, but make sure that you are doing that. So this intro is taking longer than expected, but welcome uh, to the show, Anthony Ferrante. Uh, Anthony, we're glad to have you on. So how, oh, did, you. how did you get started uh, Making being a filmmaker was there was there someone that you looked up to when you were a kid or when you were a teenager like you know what I really want to go down this venture. I uh, I actually remember the moment that I wanted to be a filmmaker. I was, I was in sixth grade. I was I was actually looking at the newspaper on the playground, and uh, I was looking at the movies I was going to go see that weekend. And I'm like, uh, I want to make movies. So it was just like something forced itself into my head and uh, I came from a small town in Northern California and so we didn't have access to stuff readily to to make movies and stuff there was you know there's no how-to manual on you know here how do you get a video camera how do you do that so you know I'm a kid so just I started writing um, movie reviews instead for the class paper and started seeing every single film and I was always seeing movies before that but it just became ravenous, and that sort of became my film school. And eventually, um, I was able to take film class and get access to editing equipment and cameras, and um, kind of off the races. But what what happened was the journalism kind of was my 
my way in in a way because I I was able to kind of make a living, you know, working for different magazines. I worked for Fangoria. I was the editor of Cinescape. Started a bunch of different online uh, magazines for different companies. So, um, so I kind of I kind of got film school in a box by by talking to the people that you know I admired, like Carpenter and Craven and Cronenberg and all that stuff. And um, also, when I was working for Fangoria, I would get accept, you know, I would be allowed to come out and cover movie sets. And so I, even though I went to San Francisco State for film school, I learned more going to the going to the to the movie sets to cover because on the low budget movies, you could just hang out all night. Like on the on the studio sets, it's like, you know, they, they have you under lock and key. But on the low budget movies, it's like, hey, you want to be an extra? Hey, you want to do this? And so I got to uh, befriend I got to befriend a lot of uh, effects artists and a lot of different people. And. So, you know, you kind of find your way into the industry that way. And um, I eventually uh, got a chance to supervise makeup effects on uh, Brian Musna's, one of Brian Musna's movies and used that to do second unit, kept writing scripts, kept doing shorts until uh, I got my first movie made, which was Boo. So you, you said something about Cinescape. Was that a web, like a website, kind of like movie website? Um, no, it was actually a print magazine. Uh, and then, and then I know we, we had an online component, uh, for a while, but it was toward the last five years of its run. I was editor of it. It was a great magazine, you know, it was really, really solid. We had a great staff. I remember reading that when I was like a teenager and I'm pretty sure I remember going to the Cinescape website to look at, cause they'd have like this drop down box of like all the upcoming movies and there'd be like Batman five, the next yeah. Batman movie, the next evil dead series that was coming out. And everyone like, I don't like you're bringing me back to like when I was a teenager, I totally forgot. I'm going to see if that, that's website's still around. No, that's that. It's, it's done. They, they, they nuked it a long time ago. <laughs> so you said Cronenberg and a lot of those horror, uh, masters of film really inspired you was there any any inspiration from like a sam raimi or any or like a oh no sam, sam raimi i mean it's it's all like we saw the sam raimi is a huge part of that too i mean evil dead 2 is sort of a benchmark i mean uh you know evil dead 1 you know one of the most terrifying movies ever made i mean it was really great but evil dead 2 you know managed to mix horror and comedy in a way that just you know, it's 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 purely Sam Raimi, and uh, you know there it it was played over the top. Yet it, there was seriousness to it. It was original. What he did, you know, filmically, you know, just the way he shot it was just incredible. I mean that 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 movie just you know anybody that's a, a horror fan that that just that movie just kind of opens your eyes as the possibilities. There's a lot of these guys. I mean, John Landis, you know, a lot of his movies, you know, the American Werewolf in London, still one of the, the greatest horror movies ever made. Um, you know, and it had, it has a, it's just, it's also a very, very funny movie. Yeah. Like you, we see a lot of the Sam Raimi, a lot of the John Landis, a lot of Cronenbergs in the Sharknado. But before we get into the Sharknado, let's talk about coming, you, coming into the film industry. Like you said, like you, you did like some onset stuff, and you. T Let's talk about your boo. Like, how did that? How did that percolate? What was the? What was writing that, and then making that? What was that like for you as like your first film? Well, boo, it took about four or five years before I was able to actually get it made. I I knew um, that if I, if someone was going to let me direct my first movie, it needed to be a single location film. It needed to be a film where you know, 
it could be done anywhere between 500 and $2 million. And it didn't get too, it wasn't too ambitious. And so, um, I, I love Halloween and, you know, I wanted to write something set at, in, in Halloween. And when I was working, uh, effects on a film, uh, makeup effects on a film, uh, we shot at this place called Linda Vista hospital in downtown Los Angeles. And we were shooting it as a functioning hospital. And we would walk around because we had a lot of free time in between waiting around to do the effects. And um, there's just this this weird, there's the, the place is haunted and there's a lot of stories and a lot of strange things that happen there. And just by walking around, I realized this is like pre-production designed. I should write a script for this, uh, for this location. And then there was also uh, one thing that we did is we... Uh, we kind of went in the basement and set a wheelchair up with fishing line and we would bring people down and hide behind there and tell people that there were ghosts. And then we'd pull the wheelchair and everybody would run up and freak out. <laughs> and, and so that it freaked people that were working there out. So, so I, that actually, and that gag actually ended up in boo. So, um, so, so basically, you know, that, that whole first movie was about kind of wanting to make an old fashioned, scary uh, horror film. And, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a little bit of Halloween, there's a little bit of the thing, you know, there's a little bit of uh, changeling in there. Uh, but it, it, was, uh, it was just kind of, I wanted to scare people. And, and it's, uh, it was a film that it did need about $2 million to do, but David Allen came to me and said, look, we got, a, we got this one movie, we don't have a script yet, but uh, we'll let you direct. It's like, uh, what about Boo? It's like, oh, that movie will cost too much. It's like, well, how much, how much money do you have? And he said like 600000 I go, okay, I could do it for that. And so you just do it because I'd rather do my own script than have to wait for another script to get written. And we were off to the races and uh, uh, I put everything into that. I love that movie. Um, you know, we made a, a the, it was the conscious decision to make a film that was sort of anachronistic that existed in its own space and time. So, you know, you might have cell phones, but the cars kind of are, are a little off. They're not, you know, they're all over the place. Uh, the clothing is, is non-specific aside from a reference to one of the characters past as an actor, um, there's no modern pop culture references in the movie. And I think that really benefited it because we, we, we did really well on DVD when it came out for, for being on a, a small label. Uh, Sci-Fi Channel picked it up and was one of their highest rated uh, movies. Um, and that led me to be involved with Sci-Fi. Um, and then in the foreign markets, we just kept selling it. I mean, over the course of like eight years, you know, it just kept selling to even places that, you know, didn't want it originally. I think the last holdouts were Japan, uh, Italy, and um, France, I believe. And so to have a movie that still held up like eight years later and is still getting acquired by different territories is a huge accomplishment. So, and now, and now if people are discovering it on Hulu and Amazon, it's like I'll read the reviews and everybody thinks it's a, a modern horror film. And that's, that's kind of neat. Let's talk about the writing process for you. Like when you sit down to write a script, are you take, especially when it comes to horror, are you taking, are you trying to look for something that, like different avenues or like there's a lot of like the cliche horror films. Are you looking to try to deviate from those? Are you, are you set when you're writing? Like, I want to see this, but I want to, I want it my own spin on it, my own take on it. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, you always go into that. I mean, uh, Sharknado movies aside where you're paying homage. I mean, you're always kind of making nods to other films. I mean, if you look at a lot of, you know, Carpenter and, and Landis and Dante, you know, there, there are these little nudges to things that meant stuff to them. And, and we all do that in the, in, the, in the writing. But, you know, 
I think the one thing that gets lost is what is your story about? And so, you know, if I'm going to spend time on something, what am I writing about and, and how do I connect with it? There's certainly projects and scripts that I read and it's like, I have no idea how to get into this. Um, but the stuff when I'm writing, like Boo, you know, I, I, was ma I wanted to make a ghost story set in a hospital. Um, I did have the, the tropes of the, the teenagers going in there, but I tried to kind of twist some of the stuff. Like if you watch the movie, there, none of the women ever scream in the movie. Uh, like I, the, none of the living characters ever scream in, in the, that are women in the movie. But the one character in the movie that actually starts running down the hallway screaming because they're freaked out is a guy. And so there, there, there's a lot of little subtle things like that. I, I have this really huge issue with hospitals. And so there's a lot of subtext about hospitals that, you know, you can watch the movie as a, as a, uh, um, as, as a horror movie, but there's this interesting subtext. And then the ending of the movie really kind of is abstract in, in a certain way too. It's, it's a, it's a horror movie, but then it starts getting into this thing about, you know, how do you kill this ghost that wants to live? And then I need to show him how horrible it is to live. It's just, it's, it's really bizarre. I mean, we made this kind of conventional movie. That's sort of an art house horror movie. That's also saying things, but it's still a horror film. So, you know, that, that's the fun part. And it's also fun to, how do you, how do you do um, your take on things and ghosts and stuff? And, um, you know, I, I like the thing in invasion of the body snatchers. And so the part of that part of this movie is, you know, who is it? Who, who is who they are? And how do you stave off the, uh, you know, any surprises that come along? And, and how do you do misdirection? So in that respect, Boo was very, very fun. But it was also just an exercise in suspense. So, um, so, that, so for that one, that was that. Some of my other things, like my, the stuff I write with other people and things that are originals, it, it comes down again, what are we writing about? I have this great script that I wrote with Jacob Hare uh, called The Key. And, you know, when you strip out all the horror conventions and stuff in it, it's really at its core about a girl trying to find her voice. Um, when I um, inherit scripts like Headless Horseman and stuff that I rewrite, um, you know, you, you try to find what, what, what is it that connects you, connects you and you try to figure out how to kind of amplify that. So it's, everything is different. And then in Sharknado's cases, you just make it up as you go along. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I have one more question before I let Kyle jump in. When you sit down to write a script, are you are you there writing it for 10, 12 hours a day? Are you there for just a few hours, take a break, get inspired? What's it like? Like, look, bring us through that kind of process. Uh, okay, well, prior, prior, let's see, let's, there's, 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 there's before Boo and then there's after Boo. Okay, so before Boo, um, you know, your, your original scripts, you know, it, it takes me a long time. I mean, it took me a long time because I wasn't, I was really fast as a journalist because I had a lot of experience. I could sit down and write a review in, in an hour and it'd be clean and coherent. And, you know, you, you get into that rhythm. You, you, you can do that. But with a script, everything has to have a purpose and a meaning. So, you know, and you're also thinking this is your first movie. And so you put everything into it. Now I wrote like three or four scripts prior to, to Boo. And, you know, some of them are okay, some of them aren't, but it was this exercise, it was this process of trying to get to that point where you're being able to write something someone could read and want to fund and want to make. And, uh, you know, you're, you're learning about dialogue, you're learning what makes a good script or what makes a script that, that, that you know, you can, you can turn into a film. Um, I think initially you... Um, 
you, you don't have any rules holding you back when you first start writing. So sometimes there's a lot of magic that happens in that. And sometimes it's just a, you go back and read stuff and you go, oh, my God, I'm a terrible writer. Uh, now, um, when I when you start writing for production, so like Headless Horseman, I inherited a script and then I had to kind of rework it. And I think we had a I think the movie kept getting pushed. So there was I, I think I worked for, on that script off and on for about six months until we started shooting. Um, but I also did a lot of writing for sci-fi that I didn't direct. And that was, that, there was a reason for that. I wanted to learn to become a quicker writer and a faster writer. And you, you have four weeks to, uh, to write. So a lot of times with well, the other stuff with Boo would be, I'd write, I'd write at night. You know, I, I would do, I, 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 when I was doing journalism, I would split it up. I would have my computer for my journalism and I'd have my computer for my screenwriting because I didn't want to mix and match that because then, you know, after writing all day, you don't want to go and sit on the same computer and do something creative. So you want to have something that was separate. I don't do that anymore because I have a nice Mac laptop and that's fine. But <laughs> I, I still think that there's something to be said for that because it doesn't make you afraid to go sit down and work on that computer because that's your, your creative computer or your screenwriting computer. Um, so, uh, but, but for when you're doing stuff for sci-fi channel or for other companies, you have three or four weeks. And so a lot of times what I found is, and, and it's the, it is the cliche is I, I will go to a Starbucks and I'll sit there for 10 hours and I will, I will force myself to get the amount of pages I have to get done to, to hit my deadlines. So if I have to get 10 pages, I don't move. And the reason why I like Starbucks or coffee shops is because you can't get up. You, you can maybe get up and use the restroom if you bring your stuff with you and leave a, you know, a sweater on the table or whatever. But it, it, you, you, you can get distracted by going on the internet, but you, you're forced. You're forced to stay there and not move until you get your stuff done. So it's that kind of thing. It's uh, sort of a, that, that's the regimen to be able to do that. So. so you said that like for you, there's before Boo and after Boo. So like kind of looking at what's happened after Boo, were, were you ever feeling like maybe that was it? Like that was gonna be the thing that defined you? Did you ever think maybe you'd hit, you'd have something that just kind of blew the internet up in a way that Sharknado did? Like, did you ever anticipate something like that happening? Well, here's the thing is, and uh, I think there's a lot of people in this industry there, there, there's a lot of different people that will get into this industry. And I'm talking, you know, producers, actors, directors, writers, whatever. There's people that get into it because they creatively are interested in it. There's people that are into it because they want to be famous. There's people that are into it because they just want to be rich. Um, there's all these different agendas of why people get into this. I come from, I come from a small town. I don't, I didn't have no, I didn't have any family in the business. And all I want to do is make movies. So anytime I had an opportunity to, to be creative and get to do something, that was a gift. And you just continue to do that. Um, I made a movie called Boo that did pretty well. And, and I'm proud of that movie. And if that was all that defined me, I was fine with that. But the thing is, as long as I kept, as long as I was allowed to continue to be, to do things and to be creative, and that was fine too. Um, you know, it's, not everything is ever being a journalist. You recognize not everything is going to be, you know, Lord of the Rings or Sam Raimi or, you know, Steven Spielberg, you know, it's it, not everything comes out of the gate and explodes. There's a lot of things that they're slow burners. Sam Raimi was a slow burner. If you, if you remember, you know, he did evil dead and they were cult movies, but 
you know, he he did a lot of quirky, odd things until he finally, you know, got to the studio level. Um, and, you know, it's it's those it's just kind of luck and circumstance. Um, so I just I just kept trying to get better at what I was doing. And the fact that people hired me to write and hired me to direct, that was a big deal for me. And when it came to, to Sharknado, um, it was one of those things where. I, I I was actually getting really disillusioned with the horror genre for a while. Now the key was a response to that, but um, you know I had fun writing the scripts I did for sci-fi. But then you know they would get made, and then we're like, you know, you, you have to you you give those babies up for adoption, and you just have to be okay with them going off to the world. But I I'm proud of the scripts I delivered, but they they become their own thing when they're adopted by somebody else, and that's and you have to be okay with that when you're a writer for hire. Um, with with the the horror genre too, it's like it was it was getting into that torture porn stuff, and it was just you know, and and it's strange because you look at, I you know I love I love the Friday the Thirteenth movies, I love Halloween, and those movies were violent and and gory and all that stuff, but and and it's it's weird to say this because some people that don't understand horror will not understand the statement. There was a sense of fun to that stuff. It was like it was like oh okay you know. You know, he's hits the sleeping bag up against the tree. I mean, it's just it's it's not comical, but it's 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 Jason. You know, it's it's just a crazy kill. Freddy Krueger, they're crazy kills. Uh, this the saw torture porn, like some of the this is the first saw I like, but the the some of the other torture porn stuff that was just you know it was about filleting someone's eyeball slowly. It's just it's icky and they, they, at a certain point it's just not fun it's just it's there to kind of disarm you and there's a place for that and those movies did phenomenally well but that's all people seem to be interested in wanting to do that and inbred cannibal movies <laughs> i mean and, and literally I, I would have people come to me with scripts going hey we want we want to do this and i i wouldn't know what to do with it i was just it was very difficult hellas horseman has it has the kids in the van tropes but um, I had fun kind of playing with those conventions as well. There, it's I, I I sometimes watch Headless Horseman, and it literally, if you watch it from the perspective that I'm commenting on these movies through these characters, it actually is really entertaining. It's just it's this weird, bizarre film that is aware of what I I, I even went as far, and and nobody's really paid attention to the stuff in this film. The van that the, the kids are driving is a brown van, and I have the Scooby-Doo flowers on it. <laughs> and no one <laughs> ever brings it up. But I did that intentionally because it was the, it, the original script. It was kind of like a Scooby-Doo thing. I'm like, okay, well, I'm still making a horror movie, but I'm going to kind of go, okay. The, 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 you know, and Scooby-Doo had a Jefferson Stillwall was their headless horseman in one of the episodes. So I named one of the characters uh, Jefferson Stillwall. <laughs> nice. So, That's awesome. So there's there there's there's a lot of like that stuff where you know you you always want to try like and so I I like I said I set out wrote the key with Jake I wanted to it, that was sort of my response to to these movies where the violence isn't about anything and I wanted if there was violence in the movie it had to have a purpose and then Sharknado kind of happened which a lot of I had I did a lot of shorts that actually were comedic. And um, in between, you know, I was always loved horror, but I always liked playing around with comedy. And I worked with Dean Devlin's company, Electric Entertainment, for a while. And I did a bunch of viral shorts with them 
with some of their actors uh, that were t that, to promote the, the Leverage TV show. So I did something with Aldous Hodge and Beth Reese Graff and Drew Powell, uh, who's on Gotham now. He's a phenomenal actor. And we would, we, I would sit down with them and we would go, okay, let's, let's come up with this, uh, a sort of a loose structured script of what we were going to do. And so with uh, Aldous Hodge, you know, his, you know they were grifters. And so we would come up with, uh, you know, how to, how, to, how to rip people off and, and get away with it the leverage way. And, and so we came up with a handful of gags and we went out for a half a day with a camera. It was me and Aldous and a, and a sound person. And we just improved our way through every single gag. And as it went along, we were adding uh, arcs to what was going on. Like someone would say something and then we'd pay that off a little later and we just kind of let people improv a little bit. And then we used a lot of the producers at Leverage and, and, it, and it just, and we cut it together. It was really funny. And I, the Drew Powell one was really funny. It was the five stages of grief of a television guest star. And so we came up with this thing and I just let Drew go for it. And it, it's all about finding those little moments in the editing that are really funny so it doesn't drag. And uh, when I did, um, when I, when I, I, that, that kind of thing actually, for better or for worse, I think kind of screwed me up the moving forward as a director because I really loved playing in the moment. I've always done that. I've always allowed moments in my movies where, um, you know, I would work with the actors or I'd see something and say, hey, do this, do that. But that kind of like really feeding off of what the actors are, are, are giving you and going, look, this isn't working. Let's do this. That that was that was a real eye opener to me, and it was this really organic thing. And I've I've now done that a lot, and particularly with the Sharknado movies, where you have a script and can't necessarily do what's there, and maybe some of the dialogue isn't exactly perfect, and you just go, okay, we're not doing this, but we're doing that. How do we make this feel real? Because the little mockumentary things were, you know, they were supposed to be real, and uh, and that that was really that was really fun. So Sharknado kind of became. A different animal and a beast and you know we were trying to do something with no money and no time but have fun with it and and instead of just going with a line let's say there was a line like let's go there it's like okay how do we make it fun and then you know ian would throw something out right say hey say this and it would turn into you know the, the, the scene in the bar is i'm really proud of where you actually get to know the characters in sharknado and that the way it was scripted it was kind of like we realized you know, let's try to do something else and I, for an hour and a half while they were setting up lights, we just completely threw everything out and workshopped it. And the best review I ever got for Sharknado commented on that scene saying, you don't see like scenes like that in these types of movies where you feel like you get to know these characters and who they are. So how did the, how did the secret origins, I guess you could say, with Sharknado come about at sci-fi? Was it something that you were kind of pushing or was it something sci-fi was pushing for? How did that happen? Well, I was writing a lot of scripts for sci-fi, and um, and I was the horror guy. I would do a lot of the horror films, and so you know they had ghosts or banshees or leprechauns. They go come up with a pitch, and that's what would it be. But when you pitch stuff, they they want like you know ten pitches through the different companies that do a lot of work with them, and so you know you would go you come up with ten ideas, little paragraphs, and send them over, and we'd see what happens. Um, Jacob Hare, who I did the key with and who I've done some other projects with, um, you know, we were talking and, you know, I was saying, I'm sending over some pitches, you know, I, and, and it was like, let's come up with a couple ridiculous movies. Let's cut, let's, you know, they, they've had Mansquito and, and all this other kind of stuff. Let's, let's come up with just what, what is our version of that? 
And I think at some point, you know, I think we just came up with lava birds and then Jake says Sharknado and I'm going, yes. And so we, we submitted Sharknado twice to, to sci-fi and for, for whatever reason, it didn't, it, 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 it just didn't get any traction. Uh, Jake and I believed in this title so much that we, uh, we were trying to develop it because every time we told someone the title, it made them smile. And so we knew there was something magical about it. But, you know, we didn't know what it, what it was going to become. So I was writing this leprechaun script for sci-fi, and I made a reference to a Sharknado in there. It was like, you know, the, they were covering up the leprechaun killings, and they say, we don't want to have happen with that happened in that town, you know, over there. You know, remember Sharknado? They never lived it down. And then sci-fi goes, we want to make this movie. <laughs> and so... So, you know, I'm not the obvious choice to do a Sharknado movie. I've never really done big action. I'm not, you know, I, I, it's a lot of visual effects. I'm more of a practical guy, even though I've done visual effects. But Asylum had a lot of faith in me that was the production entity. And they really pushed sci-fi and said, look, you know, we want Anthony to do this. And they took a chance on me. And so when I got the gig, I'd watched what a lot of the companies had done with their budgets for the sci-fi channel movies, both as a writer and, you know, director and, and saw that sometimes, especially the ones that I wrote where they would go to like, you know, some far off place and, you know, they, they didn't get ambitious with it. They had the money to do it, but they were kind of afraid to kind of really push it for whatever reason. And I, and I, I could never have understood that, but asylum, they don't, as long as you, you know, stay within the budget parameters, if you want to go make, you know, 10 commandments with your 18 days and your little budget, they're fine. As long as, as long as everything lines up, you know, if you want to go crazy, go for it. So my goal was to make the most insane, uh, sci-fi channel movie ever. So they could never make another movie after us. <laughs> I wanted to push this budget and schedule to just to make this insane film. I wanted it to be nonstop. And I, I knew it was sort of possible. Um, but I, you know, I, you know, I, I just kind of did it the only way I knew how. And, and I, again, I have done a lot of comedic shorts and my sense of humor is very dry and weird. And that sort of started coming out in the film. You know, I did a did a big polish on the script and, you know, started I, I want the opening of the original opening of the script was, uh, you know, they're on a boat and a Sharknado attacks and sharks eat them. It's like, you know, half a page. And I go, well, if we're going to go on a boat, this needs to be a, a meal. So, so I, I came up with this whole thing of this sort of like drug deal gone wrong on a boat, but it's about shark fins, you know, and it's, you know, <laughs> bad money deal, but the metaphor is the drug deal. And so we did this whole like five minute teaser that like starts off like some other kind of movie and then turns into the Sharknado <laughs> attack. And, and it's just like, that was the beginning of our teasers where they just kind of were like these really kind of big, epic kind of isolated incidences that turned into something else and um and then we shot the movie and then in post i just kept you know hacking away at it and go look i need to go out with a gopro and go shoot some fin shots with our uh with our surfer and like, that's fine you know you got a hundred bucks and like i go out with the i gopro and with my camera guy and i was in the water and i was shooting all this extra footage you know we we needed some driving stuff so i went out with the gopro and shot driving stuff we i convinced ian to come in uh, to do that that crouching tiger hidden dragon shot on green screen because we didn't never we didn't get it during principal photography and he came in as a favor and that was the shot that everybody aired when the movie blew up and that was a freebie the last plate shot we shot for that same green screen shot I walked around Burbank because the visual effects guys needed the plate shot with my iPhone 4 
Um, and I found, I shot a whole bunch of uh, shots of buildings and they go, okay, that's the one. And then they put it in the movie. And that's, that's what we did. <laughs> I mean, it's so, yeah. So the, that's the origins of Sharknado is that, uh, look, I, we knew that there was something magical about it. And a lot of times when filmmakers go off and do one of these movies, and there's some really good ones, and I'm not belittling them. They're all, they're, every movie has their charms. But sometimes some of these movies, they, they, people just look at them as jobs, and there's sort of a, a jadedness. And, you know, someone could have taken this going, oh, okay, just paycheck, just, okay, do, chomp, chop, do the shark. But because this originated with Jake and I, and we loved this thing, and we knew what it could be, I was just all in. Because the other thing is, if I was going to destroy my career, I was going to destroy my career going down with flaming sharks. I was going to just, yes. it didn't matter. I'm just going to, I, I was all in because it was so different from anything else that I've ever done. I, you know, just go for it because there's nothing to lose. And, 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 and this is one of the interesting things about Ian and Tara is they didn't know it was going to be what it was. And at a certain point when they found out it was originally called dark skies when we were shooting it, but then they found out that it might be called Sharknado and they were getting their pitchforks and stuff ready to kill me. And I said, no, look, trust me, if it's called Sharknado, it will be a good thing. But it's still at its core. They trusted me. Ian Ziering, not knowing if it would destroy his career, burst himself out of a shark that, with a chainsaw, covered in blood and committed 150%. I don't think there's very many actors out there that would do that at all. But he did it. It could have been the thing that they, you know, oh, there's our Zuri. He birthed himself out of a shark. But he did it. <laughs> he committed. He gave 100%. He saw me giving 100%, and he was there with me the entire time, same as Tara. And so when it blew up, you know, it kind of bonded everybody in this weird way because, it, you know, we all benefited from it. And so to this day, I mean, we're very loyal to each other. And um, we look out for each other. And so it's you don't get that that often. And that's because this experience, no one ever experienced anything like this we were a movie that had no marketing we were a movie that that just had a couple trailers out there it was we didn't tell people we didn't buy people we didn't have we didn't we didn't demand people show up they just found us and maybe it was the title maybe it was the trailer maybe they wanted something that was light and funny and they didn't have to pay a 100 bucks in a movie theater for but they found us and that was what was cool so we we were we were one of the first things. There's been TV shows that blew up Twitter, Game of Thrones, but we were this this little engine that could that blew up. We were the first communal movie going experience on TV that wasn't marketed or bought. Now in the subsequent time, you know we've we've had a ton of marketing for the other movies, but that first one it was all organic, and that that's why I think we're also bonded with the fans that truly love Sharknado is that we care about them. We're always trying to make sure that we we live by certain rules. It's always about Finn and his family. We always try to not go heavy with military and scientists. And if we do have that in there, it's in a Sharknado way. It's a great point. How like you didn't have much of a budget just for the advertising of the movie or anything. I first heard about it through word of mouth as well. My friends are just like, "Man, have you seen the trailer for that Sharknado movie? It looks in insanely awesome." I'm like. I, I don't know what to say about this, but you have my interest. I need to see this. But uh, moving on from there, when the movie came out and was a bit of a smash hit, how did the idea for a sequel come about? Was it your idea? Was it Sci-Fi's idea? Like Who was the oh, one that pitched it? It, it? 
It was all it was all sci-fi because the, the movie was a success and we knew that there would be a sequel. But I look, when I I never done surprisingly, even in the writing stuff I did up until Sharknado, I had never done a uh, a sequel to any of my movies or a sequel to anybody else's movies, and. So I would I, I actually joked on Sharknado that you know we well the, well the sequel will be it'll be Sharknado Saurus and the twister gets so strong it takes people back in time and it was I was just joking I was no seriousness to it and and the other thing too is as a point of history with sci-fi they don't do sequels to their original movies they rarely do they'll do sequels to like like placid and established franchises that that are sort of you know now kind of on the down sort turn or whatever. But they they never really did sequels to stuff, and so to have, think of that they were ever going to greenlight a sequel before Sharknado was that. But once it was a success, obviously they were going to do one, and so I think pretty early on they said we have to do New York, and that's that's how that happened. So it was uh, it was pretty awesome, and actually that was great because we shot in New York. I was probably. I'd say out of all, I look. I love Boo. It's my first movie. I will always have a warm place in my heart. But shooting in New York for Sharknado Two was probably the best experience ever on a movie set because we were shooting in New York. We were shooting in Times Square. We were this little tiny movie. I think we had uh, twelve days to shoot in New York, and then we came back and did two, three days in L.A. And you know, we hit everything: Statue of Liberty, Wall Street, and uh, it just it it's like toys. It's like you're a kid. And and you get new stuff to play with. And that's what Sharknado was too, because again, I did a lot of horror movies, and so you know I got to shoot on a boat. I was excited. I get I get to be on a boat. How do I shoot this boat? You know, <laughs> uh, oh, we're gonna build a set in a swimming pool. This is cool. I get to build a set in a swimming pool. You know, and so it's just that's that's I have this sort of wide-eyed innocence with this stuff because it's it's like when I get new toys, it's exciting. And, and each of these movies has a different French, a different kind of genre we play with. So to me, it's, it's not like we're making the same movie. It might be the same kind of story, but we're doing different kind of genres, you know, and, and we give it our all. Like when they said that they did, they, they, there's a lot of things interesting too that happen with these movies is that they, uh, they'll do a poster and then I'll ask, well, why isn't that in here? Like on the, when I got hired for Sharknado, they had a poster and I read the script. I'm like, well, where's the Santa Monica Ferris wheel? It's in the poster. It's like, I don't know. It's not in the script. Well, I, can I put it in the script? It's like, sure. So we put the Ferris wheel in the script. You know, we kind of put that in there because it was in the poster. Um, I, I forgot what happened on the second one, but on the third one, they did this teaser poster. And we had, I don't think we ever even discussed what was in it, but it was like pre selling it. And they had like a spaceship or something in there. And I don't know if it was an intentional thing because I think they just were trying to have like some sort of ship that was on the poster and they, it looked like a spaceship. And I'm like, and so we started talking about it. It was like, well, if they do that in a poster, then we have to go to space. And when we were talking space, it was kind of originally like, oh, it'll be like five minutes in the movie. But my horror, my horror geek cred was like, well, no, if, you know, Jason takes Manhattan. That that's like your benchmark. It's like you know you're if 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 we're saying if we're gonna if we're gonna even allude to that we're gonna do space then it, it has to be more substantial than we're just you know gonna go there for two minutes or something. So um, so the last half hour that we kept secret was that Sharknado turns into space sharks. <laughs> yes. 
and and so that was Sharknado three, and we committed to it, and we played it straight. And I even got to shoot at NASA. I convinced Kennedy Space Center to let us go shoot at NASA, and we, we had a. This was a week before we locked, and the movie didn't look small to me. And I begged, and they, and we got like a little bit of money, and they gave. We shot Mission Control. We got all of their people as extras. We got. The guy that does the countdown, doing our countdown, we got to shoot in the vehicle assembly building. We got to shoot with the Apollo astronauts uh, suited up. It was incredible. I mean, so so you you commit to it, and and that's that's kind of the Sharknado way. So one of my favorite things is how as Sharknado progressed, the interest in the movies from everyone else also grew, and it grew to the point where by the third one, you're having quite a few celebrities actually come on board to be in the movie. Like in the third one alone, you had David Hasselhoff, Mark Cuban. So like when it came to the casting of the movie, how did you get these big names involved? Like, did you approach them and just ask if they'd be interested in being in the movie and they were just like on board or did you have to, that takes some convincing to get them in? No, I mean, uh, it was, I think it was the thing of everybody wanted to be a part of Sharknado because of its, because of what happened. Um, and, but the thing to remember is we're a low budget movie. Um, so it's, uh, can you guys hold on one second? I'm so sorry. It's our first, our first edit you have to do, huh? (laughs) It's been pretty good so far. Um, so, um. With the cameos, everybody kind of, there's a lot of people that wanted to be in it because of what the success of it. And then there were people that said they wanted to be a part of it, but that they didn't really want to be a part of it because at the end of the day, we were still a, you know, a $2 million movie, you know? So it's like, they're thinking, oh, be a part of it. Yeah. Give me a million bucks. (laughs) It's like, "Mm, it's not the way it works. (laughs) So they did a favored nations thing and that kind of worked out. And we were lucky that when we were in New York, we got a lot of New York people that wanted to be in the film. And, um, but because we're like a you know 12 15 day shoot you 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 can't like suddenly go oh okay we can bring George Clooney in on day 80 or whatever or this person on that day so it's usually like okay we're shooting uh tomorrow okay are you available great okay come on down so so when you what's it what's it like when you, when you're writing the script when you're writing the script when you're thinking about the 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 action what's the page breakdown when it comes to action dialogue drama are you always trying to push the envelope when it comes to the action because there's some like i remember like the statue of liberty was a huge thing and and sharknado and then like the the chainsaw and everything like when it comes to that like are you are you always trying to push that envelope trying to push the edge when it comes to the action well look we have a brain trust of sci-fi asylum myself and thunder you know, a lot of the, a lot of the crazy gags in the first movie, like the Hollywood sign and the boat and stuff. You know, I try to think of how do I, I want to, there's some things I want to do as a filmmaker. You know, feed off the stuff that Thunder has in the script, or go completely off the rails and do something else. When we got the second, second one, it was like everybody was was talking about things, and so you know, I would get things like that that whole opening. Uh, on the plane was something that I wanted to do in a previous movie, and I I, I wanted to do nightmare uh, um, nightmare at uh, twenty thousand feet with sharks. So that's what was the pitch was. I said we have to open the movie with them on a plane, and the sharks attack the plane, and it's the gremlin on the plane, but it's sharks. 
And so that was something that, that I brought to the table with, with that movie. And the, the Statue of Liberty head uh, was something, I think that was the thing and it was in the poster for two. So I, I knew we needed to do something. And I, I got, I, I always get like these really weird concepts and then we would, you know, then Thunder would write it in the script and then we would kind of um, elaborate or, or play with it. But I had this idea that um, the head would get decapitated, roll down the street, and there would be two drum trucks and they would kind of be veering down the streets trying to make sure it didn't hit and hurt people. And it, it was like it, uh, the two dump trucks were playing a game of Pong with the Statue of Liberty head. Okay. <laughs> so this was like, I was obsessed. This is what we're going to do. Well, we get on, this is a Sharknado way. We get on set and we only have one truck. Oh, and by the way, we have like two hours to shoot this entire sequence. So this really elaborate thing that I was in love with, that I really wanted to do, real, I realized was not going to happen. But instead of going, well, I, I'm pissed off that it's not going to happen, then blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, this is what we got. So let's do this. Let's do this. We'll play with this one vehicle. We'll do this. Have it roll down. You run here. You do this. And at the end of the day, it's a cool sequence. And it got pared down to the essence of what we could accomplish. So there's always like these big epic things. And there are certain things we can achieve. Like that opening plane sequence is as close to what I wanted to make that opening be. That, that, that Aside from maybe a couple shark kills and maybe a couple other angles or something, that, that's, that's almost perfection to what I, I, I would hope that that opening would be. And it works so well. It's just it's, it's a great introduction to, the, to the, the second movie. And it was the beginning of our teasers actually becoming mini-movies. So, you know, sci-fi's teasers are usually only like a couple minutes long. I think we were at 11 minutes for number two. And then I think we pushed things to like 15 or 15 minutes on number three with the White House thing. And, and in the fourth movie, like the whole first act is the teaser. I mean, we're, we're at, we're, I think we're at 18, 19 minutes before we get to the credits. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and that's the that's the great thing is there are no rules with Sharknado and Everybody gets that sci-fi, asylum, myself, thunder. And when you have no rules, then and anything is up for grabs. So, you know, we ne purposely never explained anything about the origins of Sharknados. They just exist. They're a force of nature. And there's sometimes, oh, maybe it's climate, you know, uh, you know, the climate or global warming. But we never full out say this is why this happens. Um, in the new movie, the, the, it's been five years later and this guy named Aston Reynolds figured out how to neutralize the, the tornadoes, but nature finds a way and there's new tornadoes that have formed because of what he's done. So it's, it's just like, it's, you know, it's nature, it's a force of nature. And then, and so it can take down airplanes. It could go into space because they're Sharknado sharks. <laughs> <laughs> and, and having been a horror guy where every rule mattered, like the ghosts have to do this, the Banshee can only do this. It was liberating to say, there's no rules. Just do it. So what's so we we've gone to space. We've been to New York. What's next for Sharknado? Are you guys, are you guys gonna do Sharknado and in Mars, Inception, Sharknado, Sharknado takes over San Diego Comic Con? What's what's next? Well, are you talking about four or are you talking about five? We're talking about four and five. Let's tease some four. Well, well, four, four. Um, there was there was like a master list of things that we wanted to do, and um, and so there were a lot of cities we hadn't hit, and 
Vegas was obvious, but I, I always felt like Vegas wouldn't sustain a full movie. So we kind of knew Vegas was was a big epic teaser moment. I mean, it was it was a big part of the movie, but you know, there, there's only so much you can do with those gags, and I, you, you would exhaust them. So you know, we end up with another kind of road trip movie on a grander scale. But for the the genres that we picked, we do a mini pirate movie in the middle of Sharknado, uh, but it, but in a, but in a Sharknado way. And as this thing was being developed, and with circumstances that happened in the end of the last movie. Um, we started realizing that that there was there was a lot of opportunity to do something that we hadn't done before, and that what that was is we were we kind of made a Sharknado version of a superhero origin story. And so, how do you do that without it being a superhero movie? And and there, so there's stuff that we did in this film. I, I've just finally watched some of it, like all the way through in the last couple of days with all the visual effects, and. We just kind of treat, just like the Sharknado, we create, we, we, we treat the elements that kind of are a little more in the superhero genre, just, just like, oh, this is normal. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and I think, again, that's the thing is like, there's, there's this sort of weird dryness to the movie that we, we just accept, you know, it's just, okay, you know, there's Sharknadoes, so we accept it. So well, this is a Hoover superhero movie, accept it. You know, we, we ask the audience just to go, look, you can love us or hate us or whatever, but you just have to, if we're going to do it, you just have to accept that we're going there. And if we're going to go there, then there's no reason to bitch and complain because we're going there. We're going to space. There's space sharks. You want to sit there and bitch and moan that sharks can't live in space. Well, you know what? They're Sharknado sharks. Screw you. Yes. We're doing a superhero movie. If you don't like it, go go spend 20 bucks in a movie theater and watch something that, that, that you're going to walk out of going, oh, I just spent... 40 bucks for this thing, you know, so, um, so that's, that's kind of our, our philosophy in, in how we handle the stuff. You know, we knew we were going to be doing, um, the, uh, whole, uh, um, kind of star Wars thing. Cause with the title of the fourth awakens and stuff. Um, so we, um, uh, we, we kind of put a few nods to star Wars, but we already kind of paid homage to star Wars and, um, in the last movie with the lightsaber sharks or with lightsaber uh, chainsaw. So, so we've always had it part of the universe, but the star Wars stuff is kind of more subtle and on the peripheral aside from a couple obvious things that we had to do. Um, but that's, that's the way, that's what we do it. And, and, and it's core. And everybody always asks, what is the secret sauce to Sharknado? And I think if you watch any other sci-fi, if it's just any other movie in this kind of realm, I mean, Sharktopus, I think is a perfect example everybody's hamming it up in those movies. So it's just, it's over the top nonstop. But in our movies, the concepts over the top, sometimes our cameos that their comic relief can be funny, but our characters treat it like they're in a serious, you know, earthquake movie or whatever. They play it completely straight and there's an earnestness. And there at its core is this family. There's not kids go, get going in the woods to have sex and they get eaten by sharks. This is just like this family guy that that's trying to save you know the unit and and you know the first movie is about it is always about the finn and april romance which is so weird like it just it it was there in the first movie where he lost everything and he reconciles with his wife the second movie is about repairing that damage and basically recommitting himself to his wife with 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 that absurd ending with you know, her arm getting eaten and then pulling the ring off of her finger and then putting it on the hand. I mean, it just, it was just so, it, it was so corny and romantic and ridiculous. 
that it, it but it was a, it was the kind of the heart of the film. The third movie was about rebirth. It was about her being pregnant and and them adding a new child. And and in this one, the fourth one, it's about the entire family getting together for the first time and fighting side by side together. And that 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 was just that's what's so fun about these movies is that it, it's and I think that's why kids like them so much is they can relate to it. And it's not there, there's there was there's one other thing too. I'm babbling, but there's there's one other thing about the first movie. I talk about throwing things away, just like accepting it. There, I there was there was a lot of stuff in in the original script for Sharknado about uh, Finn, you know, uh, flirting heavily with Nova, and it was just it was just like you know, there, there's a tiny tiny bit of remnant left in the in the final movie, but. I said, if if we're doing a movie about him getting back together with his wife, you know, his his interest is trying to still reconcile with his wife. So Nova's advances on Finn, they literally go over his head. And what there's there what what I do with Nova and Finn is I just love it. Is that Nova will always say things to Finn, but he he doesn't ignore her to to ignore her just to be dick. He just he's oblivious to it. So it's like you know she says something like you know you you have a wife. <laughs> You know, or, you know, you have a kid and it's like he just ignores her. Like, it's like, yeah, so it's he doesn't he doesn't see that Nova is picking up on him. And and because, again, it's about it's this weird family values movie. It's the strangest thing. And um, I think that's like I said, I think that there's something interesting about what we've done with these movies that is just a little off the beaten track and a little quirkier and a little stranger. Awesome. So I'll ask one more question, then we'll let you get on with it. When, when will Sharknado be debuting on DVD and on Sci-Fi? Sci-Fi, it's it's July thirty first. It's this Sunday. Um, we're going to be live tweeting the cast and myself and the filmmakers and the crew from the Stratosphere in Vegas. So um, this again, another communal movie going experience where you you know you watch the movie and you can kind of inter- interact with all of us as the movie's going on. Uh, DVD I think is in the fall. I don't have an actual release day. Um, we also do a lot. Uh, Robbie Rist and I actually compose a lot of the songs in the film. Uh, we did the theme song "Ballad of Sharknado" that that you hear in the movie. That's that's me singing on that. So our band Quint has released a bunch of EPs, and we just released a new EP called "Sharknado Rhapsody." We've been talking about writing a rock opera for Sharknado for the last four movies, yes. and we finally did it. So if uh, if you go to iTunes, uh, Quint uh, "Sharknado Rhapsody" is available, and it's. Uh, it's basically Queen meets Meatloaf meets uh, um, Pink Floyd by way of Sharknado, and it's just it's uh, it's got a great chorus. It's a Armageddon, come and get it. The world ain't gonna end unless I say so, and it's uh, it's just it was so fun to do. And uh, Robbie's an amazing producer, so um, so that that that's another fun kind of aside. Uh, a couple of other shameless plugs. Um, uh, I, I did a VR virtual reality horror short in um, January with Ian uh, called Killer Deal. And it was really interesting playing in the the VR space and trying to do something scary and spooky that was narrative. And uh, it, de- it debuted at Tribeca. Um, I think they're working on setting it up as an app pretty soon. Um, so uh, take get get you know if you get a chance to see that, it's it's really cool. It's very very balls to the wall, bloody and gory and and spooky and scary. And um, that was really fun to do. And I also produced this uh, really cool little uh, horror film called The Ones Above uh, that we're, we're finishing up post on right now. Awesome. So 
that's a that's another side project. Um, but the, the other thing too, that you know, there's a lot of people out there that don't understand Sharknado. There's there's people in Hollywood that don't necessarily understand Sharknado because it's 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 this weird thing where sometimes I'll talk to people and they go, "When's it coming out in theaters?" Because they don't realize it's a TV movie. So we made a TV movie that people don't understand is either a TV movie or a theatrical movie or whatever. It's just a franchise. And that is kind of like the coolest thing. The other thing to keep in mind is that we do these movies in less than six months with usually 15 days of shooting with over a thousand visual effects. We started shooting this movie in March and we just delivered it a week ago. And so, you know, you know, we have a lot of limitations, you know, some things that aren't necessarily perfect, but there's a charm and there's sort of an energy of desperation when we're making the movies is that we're making the best movies we can with the circumstances we've been given, but we don't know we can't do it. So we just do it anyway. And there, that, that, so I defy anybody, you know, making these big, you know, $150 million movies to try to do what we do in 15 days and have a cultural impact and have fans like this. It's 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 hugely it's it's hugely insane, and we have the best people. We have the best crews and the cast that really bust their butts to deliver these movies for the fans. And uh, I'm I'm really proud of what we accomplished because I mean these movies these movies ex exponentially get bigger and bigger. When you see Sharknado four, it's it's insane. It just starts and it doesn't stop. And I I sit there going I don't know how we did that. You know, because we had 12 hours and we had to get stuff done and we had 15 pages and we do it. So, um, you know, and, and also to put things in perspective, uh, Batman versus Superman, by the time they were in production and released the movie, we had done three Sharknados and we're shooting the fourth. So, so, right. so in many ways, I, I kind of feel like I've been waking one long Sharknado movie because we've never had a break in between. So it's, it's look, I'm, I'm really proud of these movies, you know, um, I, I think that, you know, I understand what they are. I get that they're not, not perfect, but they make a lot of people happy. And there's a lot of kids that love these movies. And for being a, going full circle, being a kid who wanted to make movies and loved, loved going to the movie theaters and stuff, there, our, our, fan, our panel at Comic-Con, like, you know, half the people that stood up to ask questions were kids. This five-year-old in a shark costume that, that waddled up to the microphone and asked the question about the movie, and Ian and Tara took a photo, and that's the people. It's paying it forward, you know. You know, maybe maybe we'll inspire the kid to make the next weird, strange movie when he's older. Um, but you know, that's what it's all about. It's getting the opportunity to do this. And I, I was the weird kid in, in school, and the weirdest thing I did is the thing that became the thing I was most famous for. So. <laughs> There's no, there's no shame in that. It's no, like, I, 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 you know, it's like, just you got to embrace it and you got to embrace the opportunity. And being in the journalist side, seeing so many people on TV shows that, you know, would like, oh, you know, I, I'm just you know, third season. I'm gonna leave because I want to go do movies. It's like, you know, you're on something successful. Write it out and have fun with it. As long as they let us keep making these weird films, you know, why not do them? There's, there's, it's, it's a blast and people are watching them and. That's all you really want is to make stuff that people see. And if whether they hate it or they love it, people are watching it. And that's that's awesome. So is there is this gonna be a continuation? Do you see like this to becoming like Sharknado ten and fifteen? It's it's all about ratings, honestly. I mean, you know, if the fans want it, we'll have more. Um, you know, it, it when they want to do it, is is everybody available and can we do it? Then, you know, that'll determine what's going on. 
So it's 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 really up to it's really up to sci-fi saying okay the ratings warrant it and but you know I thought that after three the audience you know you know we would kind of be like oh people are kind of done with it and yet every time we released anything from the movie people went crazy and the Comic Con was insane this year because you know there were a lot of people that really liked it in previous years when we were at the panels but it it felt really cool that like this time around it felt like you know, we were a Marvel movie. Like there were everybody that was in that audience wanted to be there and they were excited about seeing the stars and seeing the clips and, you know, that's cool. So I, like I said, I think these movies could go on forever. Um, at a certain point we'll run out of cities to destroy, but, <laughs> but it's, as long as we just keep kind of finding different genres we want to play in and, you know, they let us keep doing it. I think, uh, you know, I think there, there, there's, there's, there's a few more movies in there. So, but, uh, you know, We'll we'll see we'll see what happens. Um, it's a it's a great franchise, and you know, like I said, it makes people happy, and you couldn't ask for more. Absolutely. Where can we find you on social media, like Twitter? Uh, AC Ferrante on Twitter, uh, Anthony C Ferrante on uh, Instagram, and Facebook. I think is Anthony C Ferrante as well. Awesome. So episode fourteen is and, in the cam. And and Quint the band, our band is called. It's uh, Quint the band is on Twitter, and I think you can find Quint the band on Facebook and uh, Quint is, is on iTunes. Awesome, awesome! Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Like Thank your you. your movies are epically amazing. Like me and Kyle used to talk about this. Like we used to work together, so. We would, we would always be like, hey, did you watch Sharknado? It was like, hell yeah, I watched Sharknado. Do you remember that scene with, with the, the chainsaw and the, the they shot the shark with the pistol? So, like, we go, like, this has been our kind of, like, religion for a little bit here. Well, thank you. And, you know, I mean, we were talking about Sam Raimi a little bit. Don't, no, don't, don't print, don't publish this or whatever. But you know, the, the thing that's interesting is that obviously we're informed by the spirit of, you know, what everybody's done kind of before and that tome. And we have chainsaws, so yeah. you know we owe a lot of debt to Ash. But the thing that I got really that I thought was really cool that first episode of Ash versus Evil Dead when he jumps in the air and the the chainsaw snaps on his arm. It was all visual effects. I'm going, so it's like the snake biting the the the, the tail. It's like we were inspired by by Evil Dead, and then Ash versus Evil Dead did a Sharknado moment. At the beginning, you know, it was just weird. It was totally a Sharknado moment. I mean, it, but then again, it's an Evil Dead moment too. But the way it was done, because you know, normally stuff is done a little bit more cutty and and in camera. I was just, I thought that was really cool, and I don't think that they did it intentionally, but it just it felt like something we would have done. You know. Awesome. Thank you so much. Bye, Felicia. Bye.